Hello, and welcome to Christian Marriage Uncensored, where together we learn to think strategically, work with God, and transform our marriages. We go beyond what a Christian marriage should look like. We flesh out the whys and hows of leaving behind the baggage, wounds, ignorance, bad habits, and outright sin we brought with us to marriage. And we welcome Jesus into the middle of our daily struggles, our biggest conflicts, the kitchen, the bedroom, and every place in between. I'm Shelley Arnold, your host, author, speaker, and biblical marriage strategist. And I'm super excited to share with you all God continues to teach me about marriage. Hey, y'all. We made it to Episode 3 of Christian Marriage Uncensored. Go team! This is Part 2 of Lies I Brought With Me to My Marriage. The lie we're talking about today is so big, so pervasive. This lie made a lot of trouble for me early in my marriage, and it still pops up today. If I'm not careful, this lie can derail my spirit, my outlook, my attitude, you name it. The lie that my priorities for my life and marriage are the same as God's. Y'all, this has been quite a lesson for me to learn. If you remember, I'm a list maker. Like, seriously, I'm so list dependent. I've got fiction plot lines and book ideas and teachings I want to write on endless lists in my head. And that's totally apart from all the stuff of being wife, mom, mother-in-law, and grandma times three. There's a lot to track, so lists are my go-to. Working with technology is an even bigger challenge for me. My lists about how to work technology include phrases like one left click on the big blue button at the top of the screen. I'm not kidding. Lists are how I survive. Some of you know how much of a challenge cooking is for me. Like the other day, I burned leftover sloppy joe meat so bad it was crunchy. Crunchier than the tater tots I made well done on purpose. Sloppy joes aren't normally crunchy even at my house, but they were a few days ago. Why did this happen? Because the to-do list in my head distracted me from what was in the skillet on the stove. Anyway, from the time Stephen and I started dating, and I didn't mean to do this, I began creating a mental list of my expectations, hopes, dreams, wants, needs, all the stuff I thought were obviously God's priorities for me, for us, when we got married. So, of course, they'd all happen, right? All my relationship expectations, they were good expectations. They were so good. Our relationship would do nothing but flourish as showers of relational blessing fell from heaven, God's abundance in our marriage. I don't mean money. None of this was about money. No, the blessing of abundant marriage I just knew God had waiting for me and would happily rain down on me 
Well, again, they'd come because God's priorities for my marriage aligned with mine. I thought his list was the same as mine. After we got married, the biggest and ever-growing list in my head was all the stuff my husband needed to change or adjust in his own life. Isn't that usually the way it goes? We can be so quick to see traits and habits we wish our mates didn't have. We know what they need to learn, bless Jesus. We know what work God needs to do in their hearts and exactly how fast God should do that work. Because obviously, if my mate's behavior isn't giving me what I want, changing that must be God's first priority, right? Without meaning to, over time, the list of things I thought God should change in Stephen, and therefore do in my marriage, that list grew and grew and grew. Was some of it accurate? Sure. Stephen would be the first to tell you so, but that's not the point. And the list of what our marriage was missing, all the wonderful stuff I thought I'd have but didn't, that stuff went on another list in my head, and the enemy used that list to tell me Stephen didn't love me. Not really, anyway. So I often felt unloved, even emotionally abandoned. And again, we've had some huge issues in our marriage some of which, Stephen would confirm, originated with him and continued for decades because of him. This isn't about who's more dysfunctional. We're all dysfunctional. We're all broken. No, it's about how God got in my face one day when I was praying about, well, honestly, complaining about, my husband. Can I get a witness? Have you done that? Complained about your mate in prayer? Listen, telling God our frustrations and disappointments in marriage is good, but even more important is listening for his response. That I didn't know when I came into marriage. The idea of praying about my marriage or mate, asking for what I needed, and hopefully remembering to thank God for his blessings or help, that's what I thought grown-up prayer was. I'd heard prayer described as a conversation, and I'd practiced that in my youth. But not getting what I expected after we married shocked me so I let my prayer life deteriorate. We got married in 1986. In 1996, I attended a writer's conference where Peter Lord, pastor at that time of Titusville Baptist Church, in Titusville, Florida, talked about including a notebook in his prayer time. He talked, then he listened, and wrote down all God said to him. I thought, holy cow, that's what I've been missing in my prayer life. Frankly, I was pretty frustrated with my prayer life. It had seemed very empty. I didn't feel like I was getting clear direction from God. Why? Because I wasn't listening. I wasn't taking time to listen to God's responses or counsel about my complaints or requests. 
My prayers had deteriorated so much, they resembled quick, irritated demands. When I look back with honesty, my prayer technique during that season of life, and at various times since then, when pressure gets the best of me, was much like a petulant, spoiled child. I was already upset and disappointed by the time I started praying. Then, I didn't let God get a word in. But after Peter Lord's example of making listening part of my prayer life, I got so excited. I thought, yes, now God is going to tell me how to receive all I want in my marriage. Hooray! But that's not what he said. One of the first things he said to me when I brought my list to him, y'all, he had to be laughing. You know when a little kid makes a terrible mess and they come to you covered in marker ink or mud or flour from the pantry or boogers or worse, what they found in their diaper and they want help to clean themselves up? That's probably how God saw me, how he's often seen me, but he loves me. He loves all of us in all our mess. So he said to me, Shelly, your first priorities aren't necessarily my first priorities. What? How could this be? I didn't say that in prayer. I thought it to myself, which probably gave God another chuckle, you know? Then he really got in my face. He got specific. He said, Shelly, I know God means business when he uses my name. Shelly, not only are your first priorities different than my first priorities, many of your priorities are my number 20 or number 50 or aren't on my list at all. This threw me. It really did. Over the next while, God really started talking to me about my expectations for my marriage, about my husband, about himself, all the things. He began showing me how me focusing on my expectations and wants set me up to be disappointed all the time, and how that list exposed serious fundamental issues in my theology. Even though I didn't consciously agree with it, the prosperity gospel I'd grown up hearing had seeped into my thinking about marriage. And even though I didn't mean to blame almost all our issues on Stephen, I'd done exactly that. So God told me to deal with the beam in my own eye, a concept Jesus talks about in Matthew 7, 1-5. through 5. The ESV reads, Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite! First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Y'all, 
I was so guilty of this kind of hypocrisy, so guilty of focusing outward rather than looking at myself and the potholes in my theology. I knew about God. I'd grown up attending church. I knew a lot of scripture, but I had no concept of his total love for me. In fact, it's only been within the last several years I've begun realizing God's love for me. We're all works in progress, aren't we? You might be thinking, wow, Jesus was really harsh with you. No, he was telling me the truth. I needed the truth because knowing the truth is our first step to freedom. Jesus tells us so in John 8, 31 and 32. Again, in the ESV, he says, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. I needed to hear from Jesus about the truth of my life. That truth began setting me free from focusing outward on circumstances, focusing on Stephen, and started me on a journey I'm still on today, a journey I'll be on until Jesus takes me home, letting God change me however he sees fit based on his priorities for me and my marriage. Friends, expectations in marriage are a thing. Priorities, even good ones, can become our focus, an idol, to the extent they become the reason we withdraw, withhold love or withhold attention, kindness, goodness, prayer. I've done it. I've let disappointment determine my behavior rather than digging in with God and listening to Him. I am guilty of letting real disappointment, it's real, okay, it's not made up, of letting real disappointment be my focus. When I catch myself, and thank Jesus I'm getting better at catching myself, when I catch myself focusing on anything other than Jesus, I make myself sit and think about Jesus' journey to the cross. I think about how hard it must have been for him to pray alone, submit to the Father's plan, face the coming pain and betrayal, face rejection, the beatings, the mockery, the nails, all of it. Once I list all the things Jesus did for me in less than 24 hours, my lists for today, tomorrow, and next year don't matter so much. He loves better than me. I can learn from him. And if I learn from him, if we learn from him, our love will grow. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Daddy God, what a plan, what a list. All you set in motion when you created our world. All the steps you took to offer us salvation. Jesus, thank you again for enduring the cross, even while despising the shame for us. You made us and our biggest need your first priority. Holy Spirit, teach us to hear you. Help us hear you. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Don't forget to find me or Christian Marriage Uncensored on social media or my website, www.shellyarnold.com, to take advantage of free stuff to help your marriage. Joined by God, my first devotional for Christian couples is available as well. If you prefer fiction, check out my novels. My stories are about the perfect storms in marriage. What happens when a husband's and wife's weaknesses hit head-on and they're both left wondering if anything can be salvaged? Until next time, remember, Jesus died to redeem every part of our lives. We can experience his redemption in every part of our marriages. How can you embrace that redemption today? God's always at work or waiting to work in us. Let's tell him yes today. See ya.